people off. A lot of them are people that I've done ministry with for years, people that are close friends of mine, uh, great leaders in our church. But hopefully, after today, you're going to have a clearer picture of why we believe that this is something that was so important to do and something that we want to continue on doing in the future. Now, I want to explore the topic of church planting uh, from a biblical perspective. Okay, I want to examine what are the biblical origins behind this why is it something that's so important for us to do? And I want to prepare you for your role in church planting, okay? And, and I believe that every single person here has a role in this. Um, doesn't matter whether you're a person necessarily that will be going off into one of those places. You might be someone that's helping to send. But whatever, I believe all of us have a role to play in this process of moving the gospel forward uh, through church planting. So my hope and prayer is that all of that will be clear to you. Uh, by the end of this sermon today. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive into what we're going to talk about. <clears throat> God, I thank you uh, that you're here. It's fun just getting to worship you. I, I thank you that uh, we get to sing songs that glorify your name, Lord. I just uh, think of that reality that you have no rival, you have no equal, that I can shout to you, that you hear our praises, that you hear our cries for help. Thank you that you're a good father and that you care for us. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd be with us as we dive into some of your word this morning as it relates to church planting. And God, I pray that you would uh, help us just to have a clearer understanding of what this is and, and why it's important and how we can be a part of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through me this morning. I pray that you'd move through your word and that you'd help us uh, to be people that are more like you as we walk out the doors today. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so I want to start off by talking a little bit about what exactly church planting is and how we see it biblically. Uh, sometimes we use that term a lot, but, but don't even necessarily think of what exactly is a church plant. Um, well, it, it really is exactly what it sounds like. It's this act of starting new churches, and we like to use that term plant even though you don't see that exact term in the Bible, but the reason we use it is because you're planting something that's living, right? Just like a like take a tree and plant it in soil, right? It lives, it grows, it sends roots down. That's the same idea of what we're trying to do when we plant churches in new places. We're taking a seed of the kingdom of, of Christians that love the Lord and planting them in soil in some new place. And, and we are hoping that through that, they're going to grow up, they're going to send out roots in that community, and they're going to become this, this great living thing, kind of like a plant there. And so that's why I think it's an appropriate term. Uh, and like most actual plants, if a church plant is healthy, uh, it will eventually start dropping seeds that will create other new plants, other new churches. And uh, we sit here today, this church was planted, I think it was about, yeah, 13 years ago now. Um, so, you know, and we're the result of many other churches on down the line that were started at some point that helped us get to where we are here today. You see, church planting is the natural result of missional living. And we see this a ton in the book of Acts, right? I love Acts because it helps us see what a life should look like when, it's, when a person is captured by the gospel. When they, they know and understand the message of who Jesus is, how he died for their sins, how he rose again, and how all the world needs to hear. And so we see that shortly after the resurrection and then later the ascension of Christ, uh, the believers were gathered together at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell. 
And all of a sudden, people started preaching the gospel in all these different languages. Peter got up, preached a sermon, and there were 3,000 people that were saved. And you see this church that's birthed in Jerusalem. And things are going awesome. I mean, this sounds like a vibrant church. People were sharing with each other. Uh, They were constantly meeting together, studying the word, listening to apostles' teaching, all this kind of stuff. But then things started to get a little bit more difficult. They started to become persecuted. And consequently, most of the Christians scattered from Jerusalem. This is what we read in Acts 8, 1 through 4. This is right after a man named Stephen was martyred. It says, And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, so there's all sorts of things that can drive church planting, but one of the first things that we see driving new churches get start, to get started in Acts is persecution. You know, as people thought, man, we're going to stamp out this Christianity thing, that doesn't sound very good to me, right? Stephen had just been stoned to death. We have this guy named Saul, who most of you know is Paul, uh, who, who would later become a Christian, is going around ravaging the church. He's entering house after house. He's dragging off men and women. He's putting them into prison. These are all things that you would think might be tactics to stop the gospel. That was certainly their intention. But it actually had the exact opposite effect. You see, the people did start scatter for the most part. You see, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But it says a ton of the people scattered. But they didn't just scatter and hide. What did they do? Verse 4, therefore, those who had been scattered did what? Went about preaching the word. And so what this does is it actually starts to drive the gospel out into all of these different places. Now, it doesn't say anything explicitly about churches being planted. It just talks about people going and preaching the word where they went off to these new places. But we know that churches are simply the result of Christians being gathered together into a family of believers. And as people heard the gospel, some became Christians, and those Christians formed churches. And if we skip ahead a few chapters in Acts, we'll see that some of the persecuted believers in Jerusalem were responsible for planting this powerhouse church in a place called Antioch. All right, so we see this in Acts 11, 19 to 26. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them, all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul's become a Christian at this point. And he went and found him. He brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, so here we see this group. They've scattered because of the persecution we're talking about. They bring the gospel with them. And what happens? This church kind of pops up in Antioch. 
And God is doing awesome stuff through it. He's bringing Jews to faith in him, and he's also bringing what they call Greeks, Gentiles, uh, to faith in Christ as well. And uh, man, there's awesome stuff. And you'll see that like Barnabas and, and Paul would eventually come and they would become leaders in this church. But it wasn't started by them. It was started by faithful people that were just bringing the gospel with them wherever they went. It was a natural result of Christians carrying the gospel, of living missionally. Now, remember that most of the apostles, as I was saying, were, they stayed in Jerusalem. These are normal people. I think sometimes we think uh, churches can only be planted by super Christians, you know, or something like that, people that are really, really amazing. But these are people, they, they weren't the apostles. Most of the, we don't even know who these people really were for the most part. But they planted an amazing church here at Antioch. And as they pursued the Lord, this would move from a model of just church planting through scattering, which is how their church started, to church planting through intentionally sending. Okay? Uh, Look at this. We'll visit our friends in Antioch again here in Acts chapter 13. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Things were going great in Antioch, right? Just like they were in Jerusalem. I, I read the description of that Jerusalem church before the persecution started, and it, was a, it sounds like an awesome church to be a part of. Antioch, this is an awesome church to be a part of. They have these amazing leaders. They've got Saul and Barnabas and a few other people are mentioned there as well. And as they're pursuing God, they're fasting, they're praying. We've talked about both of those things this summer. Um, what happens? The Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, I want you to set apart Saul and Barnabas for a different work. Now, could you imagine having the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in your church as leaders? Like, I, I would be thrilled about that, right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome to have them? I mean, we know a lot about Paul. He wrote like half the New Testament. Barnabas, we don't get to see as much, but every time we come across him in the scripture, he seems like he was probably even more fun to hang out with. I mean, he's like the son of encouragement. He's a man of, of, of faith. He, he was always reaching his hands out to new people. I mean, these guys are not the kind of people that you would want to see leave your church, all right? I mean, imagine how good the preaching must have been there. Imagine how encouraging the fellowship must have been. And yet, as they're listening to the Spirit, he tells them, I want you to set them aside for a different work. And this is how church planting by sending can be really difficult, right? It's definitely difficult by scattering, but it's also difficult by sending. Sometimes that's going to require you to set aside people that you really love and really care about and that are helping make your community a great community and set them off because you know that God has something for them to go and do somewhere else. And honestly, this is how I felt a lot about many of the people that we've sent off to Buffalo. Like, they're great people that love the Lord, that have done awesome work here. Our church is going to miss them a lot. But as we felt the Lord convicting us to pursue church planting, we had to be willing to encourage them to actually leave our church, right? To send off great leaders from our church and to go start a new work somewhere else. The church in Antioch was committed to following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And they clearly sensed that Paul and Barnabas needed to go away 
and do something else. And if you continue to read on in Acts, you know that that something else, that work they were set aside for, was going and planting new churches. Now, I thank God that these leaders were listening to the Holy Spirit together, right? Because it would have been so much easier for them to just keep Barnabas and Saul in their church. But if they had done that, like, where would we be? Well, think of the ripple effect that this had, their obedience to actually sending out Paul and Barnabas to go plant all these churches. If they hadn't done that, who knows where we would be? Like, who knows how the gospel would have spread through the world if, if not for their obedience and going and doing that? I don't know. What I do know is that they went on to go pl- plant a ton of churches all throughout the Roman Empire, and a lot more people got to hear the gospel and respond to it because they were willing to go. And when they went, they didn't just preach the gospel and then duck out of town never to be seen again. They were more than just traveling evangelists. I think that we have a misconception about this sometimes. When we see guys like Paul going around, he has, uh, he's going, he's preaching the gospel in all these kind of places. And I think sometimes we just think of it as, oh yeah, he's an itinerant preacher. He's going around, he shares the gospel. Paul was a church planter. Like this man was going and he wasn't just preaching the gospel and leaving. He was actually planting churches. He knew that he wasn't going to be around forever. This meant planting churches that were going to raise up leaders so that they could be powerhouses for the gospel to send out other churches that would be planted all around the world. All right, look at this. Here's some of the reasons why I want to show you. The Apostle Paul was not just an itinerant preacher. He wasn't just a traveling guy that, that preached on the streets. He actually planted churches. Look at this. First off, we see that because he prayed for and maintained concern for the churches, even when he wasn't with them. Look at this in Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, in view of the participation, of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. It wasn't like Paul just went and preached in Philippi and forgot about them. He was writing this letter from a different place, but he was consistently remembering them in his prayers. And we know that the concern for all of these churches that he started was always on his mind, not just because we see all these different letters that he wrote to those churches, which make most of our New Testament, but also look at what he says here in 2 Corinthians. When Paul's listing out all these really difficult afflictions that he's been through and the challenges that he's had in ministry, look at one of the things that comes to mind. He says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This is a guy that was constantly getting driven out of town, stoned, not in the bad way, stoned like people throwing stones at him, Um, you know, being put in jail, all this kind of stuff. This is happening to him consistently. And think about what's on his mind still. Daily he has this concern for all these churches that he's planted. He maintained correspondence with them. I already said most of the New Testament is comprised of letters that we have written to these churches. You'll see several times, like, for example, Galatians starts to the churches in Galatia, uh, Thessalonians, um, to the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, So we we see, man, he's maintaining correspondence. He's still trying to help pastor them even when he's not there. 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with a ton of pastoral work in that letter. All right, and he raised up leaders in these churches. He was teaching people in Corinth for a year and a half. Because we read Acts so fast, it might be a paragraph, but there's, there's a year or more that can go by in that time. We see in Acts 18.11. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. All right? He didn't just give and go. 
He was there raising up leaders over that time that he was there. In Ephesus, we see that uh, he stayed for two years. This is what we read in Acts 19 about that. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples. That's not like the disciples Jesus had. That's like the disciples in the church, the Christians, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, right? So here he is, he's staying on Ephesus for two years. He's teaching these disciples in the, in the school of Tyrannus, uh, raising them up to be leaders. And even when he had to leave that church, he left behind one of his best leaders to help continue to take care of them. Look at what he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, that's where he was for two years, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrine. He cared about these churches actually growing and maturing and becoming healthy. And as he raised up those leaders, he instructed them to raise up other leaders as well. One of his other guys that he had invested in a lot, his name is Titus. We see him writing instruction to Titus in chapter 1 of, of the, the letter we have by that name. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And he gives him some instruction on how to do that. And so he's raising up leaders that are raising up leaders. He's a church planter, not just a traveling preacher. You know, raising up leaders is such a huge part of church planting, and that's why we have such a strong emphasis on this here at H2O. That's why you don't see me preaching every sermon. That's why I wasn't supposed to be preaching today, right? Like, I love preaching. I'd be happy to preach every sermon. But we want to raise up other leaders that, that can do this as well. And, and some of them are going to go off and plant other churches. Uh, some of them are not. But regardless, we want to try and create a space at this church where people are always being encouraged to grow and flourish in their gifting. I want every single one of you to understand that you are mobilized as a missionary in the kingdom of God. I, I, the church is not supposed to be something where it's just like kind of a few people in the front do all the work and then everybody else sits and listens, right? Like, like if, that's, if that's your understanding of church, we're failing you entirely. The point is not you please God by coming and hear me talk to you. The reason that you come and hear me talk here, I'm hoping, is because I'm helping to equip you to go out and do actual ministry in your lives the rest of the week. You know, as I said, we want as many people as possible to develop the gifts of God, that God has given them and be mobilized for mission. That might mean staying here and expanding our mission in this church here in Cincinnati. It might mean being sent somewhere else to reach people in a new place. But we know that Jesus told us to pray for laborers, and we want our church to be serious about raising them up. And I want that to be something that every one of us takes serious, that you, every, you, every one of you would be serious about multiplying your life into others. That you wouldn't just let what you learn stop with you, but that you pass it on to other people. I'm thankful that Paul planted churches that had that kind of focus. So we can see that the gospel exploded in the first century, not just through itinerant preaching, but through church planting. Right? Missional living led to sharing the gospel, which led to people being saved, which led to churches being planted, which led to leaders being developed, which led to the gospel going forth more and more and more. It was super effective. And so if the gospel spread so effectively in the first century through church planting, wouldn't we be wise to learn from that and implement some of the same things today? 
The world needs the gospel, and if it's going to hear the gospel, we need to have churches that not just preach it, but show it, right? We live in a time where we have technology that, that is phenomenal in a lot of ways, right? Like, you can get online, and you can hear preachers uh, from anywhere, ones that are probably far better than I am. Anything like that, you can hear as much as you want. But one of the things that's so pivotal about the local church is that it not just preaches the gospel, but it shows it, okay? And you can't just get that from the internet. Healthy churches are a picture of the effects of the gospel on a dying world. You see, churches get to be an image of the gospel in a way that individuals can't be on their own. Sure, you can be a great example to others, in the fruit that's in your life, and the way that you're changed, the way that you grow in love and joy and peace and patience and all these different fruits of the Spirit, you, you can definitely be a great witness in the way that you live in your life, and you can show a lot of the effects of the gospel. But at the heart of the gospel, what is it really a message about? It's a message of reconciliation. You know, Cass and I didn't coordinate on this, but even the, the uh, scripture-guided prayer uh, that, that she led us through, that, that's right in a, a a passage where Paul is talking about being ministers of reconciliation. What does that mean? That, that we're people who, who bring together. That is ultimately what the gospel is. At its core, it is a message of reconciliation. You see, the good news of the gospel is that we uh, were separated from God by our sins. And, and there is nothing that we could do to fix that gap to, to fix that brokenness, to get back to him. But God, in his perfect love, took on flesh. Jesus Christ, he walked among us. The word became flesh. And as he did that, he lived a perfect life. He's the only one that's ever been able to live sinless. And he went to the cross and died for sin. Not his own sin, he didn't have any, but died for our sin. Why? Because as he, was died for, as he died for our sin, the righteous wrath that God has for sin was put upon him on the cross. And, and that sin that was the dividing wall between us and God was broken down, right? That's why that veil in the temple tore when Jesus was crucified. We actually sang that earlier in the song, the veil tore before you in that line, if you never know what that means. That's referencing when Jesus was crucified, there was a veil in the temple that would separate the most holy place from the other places where people could actually be. And, and when Jesus was crucified, that, that veil tore from top to bottom. God has done away with this dividing line between himself and man, that he has made a way for us to be cleansed of our sin and brought back together. The gospel is a message of reconciliation. And see, reconciliation requires what? Multiple parties. You can't just have reconciliation with yourself. And so the reason why I say that the, the church gets to be a picture of the gospel is because it gets to model the way that God brings together. We live in our lives as we come and worship a God that we've been brought together with. That's why we should be excited every time we come before him to worship. It's like, yes, I'm getting to approach the throne of God and be with him. But also, what happens as we're brought together with God? We're brought together with each other. We just preached through Romans this, uh, this past school year, the whole school year. And I felt like over and over and over again, I was trying to get this theme with you guys of, We've been brought together with God. We've been brought together with each other. You see, as, as God brings us to himself, what does he do? He brings us together into a family. And so, so much of Romans was about that idea of Jews and Gentiles being brought together under one gospel. 
So when we as the church come together, when, when we live in a world that is divided in a million different ways for a million different reasons, the church should be a place of unity where there's genuine love and concern and care for others, that we actually think of others above ourselves, right? Like it talks about in Philippians 2, that we try to outdo each other in showing honor. As a healthy church operates this way, as, as people learn how to resolve conflict, how to forgive, how to walk in grace, all these kind of things, what is that doing? That's picturing the gospel. It's picturing the gospel in a way that, that in, in many ways is more powerful than just giving words. Right? Like, we need to be explicit in preaching the gospel and telling people what it is, but healthy churches show it in the way that we live. And this is why we need healthy churches in every community. Because someone might be able to hear a preacher on the radio or on YouTube or anything else like that, but they need to see the reconciliation that's affected. And the church shows that. You know, uh, Jesus said in, in John 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Being a disciple of Jesus changes you into a person that's, that's really able to love in a way that you weren't able to before. And this is a marker for us as Christians. You know, I saw this at H2O in Bowling Green and it changed my life. I remember distinctly. That's why I got so involved with that church was going and not just hearing the word preached, but seeing it live where I saw a church full of people that genuinely loved one another. You know, when a church gets planted in a new community, it's like it's setting up a base in enemy territory, right? Like we live in, in a world that's dark. The Bible even talks about the world being under the power of the evil one. But as we go, we, we, churches are like little lighthouses, right? Like, like bastions of light that get planted in dark places. And their doors are open to any that would wish to come in. And so healthy churches are necessary for people to see the gospel. And they're also necessary for healthy Christians. Following Jesus is difficult if you're actually serious about it. Right? If your version of Christianity is such that all you say, that it, all you think it is, is really just saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, that's not very difficult, at least to say. But true faith requires a transformed life. Jesus said that anyone who wishes to be his disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that those things sound very easy. Self-denial does not come naturally to me. You know, apart from Christ, this is something that we really have no hope of being able to do. But even with the power of Christ, we need help in trying to live this way. And that's where the church comes in. We live in a world that is so full of temptation and we fight against the flesh that's so attractive to sin. It is helpful for us to have teammates that can spur us along in the right direction. Don't think that you're called to following Jesus alone. We have to have people that we're running with or you will not be a healthy Christian. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to people that were undergoing a difficult time. They were experiencing some persecution. And what is it that they needed? 
to continue meeting together, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And if you want to be serious in following Jesus, if you actually want to see victory and conquering sin in your life, if you actually want to have courage and boldness in sharing the gospel with others, whatever God might be calling you to do, you're probably going to need the help of others to do it. That's why he's given us the church. And you know, difficult things, they're, they're not always not fun, right? Like the difficult challenges can be fun if you're doing them with other people. Right? Like sometimes we, we choose to do that. This past Memorial Day weekend when some of us did the Murph together, it's like that isn't fun in and of itself. It's doing a bunch of hard things like pull-ups and squats and push-ups and running. But like there was something about it that when we did it all together as a group that I actually like enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, it, it's, there's something fun about spurring one another on to, to accomplish things. And man, yeah, the, the, the call to follow Christ is difficult and it's challenging. But when we get to go and do it together, there's something that's fun and exciting about that even. So I think that you can see that the church is vital, right? Like the church is vital for a dying world to see the gospel, and it's vital for you to actually be able to follow Jesus the way he intended you to. But why is it that we need to keep planting all these new churches? Don't we already have enough of them, right? Now, as a preface, I am not saying in any way that new churches are inherently better than old ones. Um, there's some very amazing churches that have been doing phenomenal work for a very long time. But I'm going to give you just a few reasons for why I believe it's necessary for us to continue planting new churches regularly. All right? And the first and most obvious reason is that many communities still don't have enough or maybe even any churches at all. Right? So when we see in Acts, this is usually when Paul was going in, he's planting churches in places where there was very little or no gospel presence. It wasn't always that there was no gospel presence, but there was always either very little or no gospel presence. Uh, Romans 15, he talks about this. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul was passionate about taking the gospel into places where it had not been preached. And I encourage you <coughs> to really pray and see, like, Man, is, is this more the line of where God is pushing me to be going over in, into places that are far more unreached than the ones where I uh, currently live? When we were going through uh, the process of deciding where we wanted to send our church plants, um, the Bardas took a trip to Asia, and they were seriously considering if they should, should plant there. Um, now, ultimately, they decided on Buffalo, but one of the big reasons is because the University of Buffalo has a very large international student population, and many of them are coming from places where there's not nearly as much gospel access. You know, even here in the United States, <clears throat> there's still a lot of uh, communities that don't have enough churches um, that are actually in their community. And churches need to be planted in particular communities, I think, to be most effective. It's way better if a church is in a community rather than someone having to drive 30 minutes to go to it. And I say that because when it's truly local, it allows everybody to really be involved in each other's lives rather than trying to do it from a distance. A church that has deep, meaningful roots in a particular community can be really, really powerful. And that's why we planted our church on the college campus, right? Like, there, the, the campus is a different community than even if I was to travel, like, four blocks in any direction from campus, I'd find myself in a different community than what I have at UC, right? There's a different culture. There's a different 
lingo. There's, there's different questions people are asking, different needs. When the church is able to insert itself into a particular community, it's able to, be, uh, to have its finger on the pulse of all of those things that are going on there. And so that's why I believe, like, man, we need to be planting churches in as many particular communities as we can so that they can really be a part of the lives of the people who are there. <clears throat> Another reason is that churches tend to have life cycles, all right? Even the best churches, think of, like, we, we talked about all these churches Paul and Barnos planted, right? Like, where are they today? I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't, can't, we can't trace directly back to this was the church in Ephesus or this was the church in Thessalonica. We don't know. In all, in all likelihood, those churches probably ended up scattering, dying out, planting new churches, something like that. But we can't trace a direct lineage back to any of them in particular. And, and that doesn't mean that they were failures, obviously. Like, God did awesome, amazing work through them for a period of time. And um, with, the, with the churches, for whatever reason, they seem to last for a little while and then die and new ones are planted. And, you know, as long as churches, on the time that they're alive, are making disciples, which they clearly did, because here we are worshiping Jesus 2,000 years later, then they're fulfilling the mi- mission that God's given them. You know, there's churches that are, uh, were once vibrant in communities that have died or are near dying, and there need to be new healthy churches that are planted in those places to fill the holes that are left behind. A third reason is that new churches require fresh vision and energy. It can become easy to lose vision and energy over time. But if you're going to start a new church, you need to have a lot of both of those things. <laughs> All right, The work is frankly just too difficult if you, if you don't. Um, Think of Paul and how many times he was run out of town and all this kind of stuff. If he didn't have a lot of vision and energy for what he was doing, do you think he would have stayed with that? I don't think so. When, when someone goes into a new community and says, I'm going to try and establish a new church here, it is very, very difficult work. I remember the beginning days of this church getting planted here. I, I have friends that are in the beginning stages of that in other places around the country. It's not easy. Any setback feels like it could make the whole thing fail. Um, but but the, the new church can be something that actually makes people stay focused on what they're actually trying to do. Um, and so I, I find that can be helpful a lot of the time. Fourth is that new churches tend to raise up more laborers. Right? Jesus told us uh, to pray for laborers. Luke 10, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, for whatever reason, it just seems that when a church is planted, it, there, there's so many opportunities for new laborers to be raised up, right? There isn't anything where someone has been established and doing the same thing forever. Uh, there, every single thing that needs to be done in the church, there's an opportunity for someone new to step up and do that kind of thing. And so it raises up leaders and gives people spaces to be able to exercise the gifts that God has given them. And finally, I'd say that new churches are the natural product of gospel multiplication. Um, one of the core values that we have here at H2O is that we're multiplication-minded, right? This, this means that we want to multiply everything that we do into others. We want to multiply our lives into others on an individual level. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a great verse for that. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But all, it's not just an individual thing, right? Like if, if you're multiplication-minded in how you're living, it's like, man, I want to multiply this church and other churches as well, right? If God's doing great work through, through this church here on the campus, 
then we believe that he may want to do great work through other churches on other campuses as well. And if we know how to raise up leaders to do that, then we want to do that. If we focus on being people that are multiplication-minded, it can be slow sometimes, but it can win in the long run for actually reaching more people. Um, I'm sure you've all seen the, the things about exponential growth. I remember the, uh, reading a story when I was a little kid about the emperor having like telling someone asked him for like a grain of rice, like, will you let my grain, my rice double every day for some period of time? And so, okay, day one, he gives him a grain of rice. Day two, it's two grains of rice. Day three, it's four, you know, you go on down the line, eight, 16. It's not that big a deal. It's just a few grains of rice. But you find that as that keeps doubling, all of a sudden, the number starts to become astronomical. And if we were people that focused on saying, all right, I'm, I'm just going to disciple a person. I'm going to try and reach them but I'm going to train them up in a way that they go and reach other people as well. So we're always multiplying ourselves. Like, that's going to reach the world a lot more effectively than just trying to always add people into new spaces. And so with, church, with all of this, you might be thinking, okay, I understand that church planting is biblical. I understand that it's a great way to reach the world. Um, I understand the, how, the importance of churches. What is it that I can actually do to get involved with this? I'll give you a few things that you can take away from here. The first thing I'd encourage you to do is to seek clarity. All right, you need to ask God what role you have to play in church planting. You already know that you should be involved. The question is just in what capacity? Are you going to go or are you going to help send? You know, we saw that church in Antioch when they were ministering and fasting before the Lord. Um, there were, I think, five guys mentioned. It was at least four it was only Saul and Barnabas that were, sent to, <coughs> that were set aside to go. There were still other people that had to stay back and lead that church and help empower to send them, right? And so I don't know where you may be in that or when you may be sent. There, there can be different times in your life where you're more of a goer and, and different times where you're more of a sender. When I uh, graduated college, I was a goer. I came down here and helped when this church was in its very beginning stages. Now I'm playing more of a sending role as a tried to help send that Buffalo team out, and hopefully we'll, we'll continue to send more out in the future as well. But what I would ask is that you would earnestly seek the Lord. God, what do you have for me? Like, what, what do you want me to do in relation to this? And be willing to respond however he wants to send you. Um, you know, we need both goers and senders. It's obvious that we need goers to make the church plan happen. But we need senders too. If, if, if people that go don't have solid support systems that are sending them, they're probably going to struggle. I was uh, doing some research on the, the army and uh, saw that it's hard to get the exact number, but there's about seven or eight support staff for every one soldier that's actually like in combat. Okay, So these guys that are out on the front line, that's probably who you think of when you think about the military. But they would not be successful if they didn't have all the people behind the lines that are helping move stuff around, they're making their food, you know, uh, getting their clothing to them, all this kind of stuff, all of that stuff is essential. So I don't know what role you have to play in this. It might be more of a, a you know, combat role. It might be more of a support role. But whatever it is, you have something to play. Um, and I would also just encourage you to get some counsel from others, too, as you're praying and asking the Lord, God, what do you want me to do in regard to church planting? Also ask others if you start to think that this might be something for you. Um, just say, hey, what, do you, what kind of gifts do you see in me? Do you think that 
uh, I might be somebody that would be ready to go sometime? Or do you see how I can grow as a sender? I have people ask me questions like that occasionally. I would also tell you to train for maturity. Uh, this is really what our summer series is about, right? Like we've been teaching you how you can implement practices to be able to grow in your faith as a Christian. Um, you will need to be mature if you want to be part of church planting. And that's true, once again, for both the goers and the senders. All right, if you're going, you're going to face a lot of challenges and difficulties along the way that you need to have a strong relationship with Christ. You need to have strong character. If you have a moral failure, a serious moral failure, that could collapse the whole church if you go and do that. Um, you obviously need to have good ministry skills. You, you need to have strong doctrine. If you don't have good doctrine, the church you're going to build is going to be on shaky ground. Um, so obviously all of that kind of stuff, that, that training is, is vital for people that are going. But if you're sending, like there's, you also need to continue to train for maturity. There's gaps that are going to be left behind by the people that we're sending. And someone needs to step up and fill those. And if, if all of the mature people leave and everyone left behind in the church is immature, then that, that sending church is really going to struggle. So whether you're a goer or a sender, you always need to be looking to try and grow in maturity. You need to be people that learn how to engage well with God, how to share the gospel, and how to help others grow in their faith. A third thing I would tell you is that you need to work collaboratively. This is a team process, right? We see Paul didn't just go out by himself. Him and Barnabas went together. And even when Paul and Barnabas would later split up, Paul would take Silas with him. And Barnabas had John Mark with him. And it was usually teams that were bigger than that. If you go through Paul's letters and see when he's writing back to these churches, he usually shows us that there's other people that were writing that with him. We just don't talk about them as much. So sometimes you're going to have a team. If you're a goer, you're going to need a team of people to gather with you. We didn't want to send the people up to Buffalo just by themselves. They had a team to go and help establish that. Um, and you're going to need people that are willing to like pray for you. You might need people that will financially support you. Um, whatever. We, we, because church is such a collaborative thing, like we have to learn to work together well as a team, whether we're staying behind or whether we're going. And then finally, I would encourage you just to be active. Right? Like, following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Like, when, when you become a Christian, you're on the team. Okay? Playing ball doesn't necessarily mean just what I'm doing right here. Okay? Th this is a particular gifting that God's given me to be a teacher. And I have a specific role in this church as one of your pastors and elders to help teach you. But that is by far and away not the only thing that God has called us to do as Christians. Every single one of us needs to be mobilized for ministry. God has gifted every single one of you in, in different ways that you can contribute to his kingdom. Every single one of you is called to be a disciple maker. All right? And, and so my encouragement, and I'm only doing my job well if I help you to realize that and actually activate that. And if every single one of us is involved in disciple making, it doesn't have to look like this. It doesn't have to be on a, be on a stage and preaching. It can be sharing your life with another person, getting into conversations with a coworker or a classmate, um, living generously. You know, whatever, we, we talk about all these kind of things all the time. We do a whole class on it sometimes called BUDS, which is all about how do you build up other disciples. Um, but whatever it is, like, we need to be people that are active. Every one of us has a role to play in church planting, whether that's raising up disciples right here where we are, or that's going off to new places to start works where we'll be raising up disciples. And so my hope and prayer for you guys 
is that you will draw closer to the Lord, that you will see how valuable and vital the church is and understand your role in either helping to continue to, to make this one healthier and send more out or to be someone that's actually going to go out and do uh, some church planting yourself. Uh, let's pray. God, we love you, and I thank you um, that you're here. I thank you for the, the faithfulness of people throughout history um, that have gone, that have um, just taken up the call to start churches in new places. God, I thank you that I get to worship you here on the other side of the earth from where Jerusalem is, where the church started. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of, of people that have continued to live multiplication-minded lives. And God, I thank you for all the senders, the people that um, have empowered others to go, that have prayed for them, that have, have supported them through uh, words and, and through money and, and through <coughs> uh, serving. God, we want to be a church that pleases you. We want to be a church that's active in building your kingdom. And so I just pray for, for us uh, as a church corporately that you would continue to guide us in knowing uh, what role we have to play in church planting. And I pray for us uh, as a church, just even individually the people who are parts of it, that you would help each of us to know what role uh, you have for us in this endeavor as well. So we love you, and we pray this in your son's awesome name.